0: Well, hello, hello, I'm Nurse Mo and welcome to the Straight A Nursing Podcast where I teach nursing concepts and share tips on how to thrive in school and at the bedside. And yes, I am still Still sounding like I'm sick. So please forgive me. I just did not want to miss getting these episodes out to you on time. I'm actually feeling a lot better. I just sound pretty nasally right now. So my apologies about that. And I do appreciate so much that you're spending your precious free time or your commute time or your exercise time with me today. Before we dive into this episode, which is all about geriatric assessment findings that are going to be different from your standard adult assessment, let's take a moment for the listener shout out. And this one goes out to Devin. And Devin says, I listen to your podcast while I'm driving to clinical or in the gym, and I love it. I also subscribed to the Study Sesh podcast, and it has been beyond helpful. I'm in my second semester of nursing school, and I wish I had found these resources sooner. Thank you you for all the hard work you put into this material. I look forward to the new episodes each week. Thank you, Devin. Thank you for listening to me while you're at clinical or driving to clinical and at the gym. And I love that you're also using Study Sesh to augment your learning. So I'll put a link in the episode notes to Study Sesh if you're interested in what Devin is using. That's been helpful. Okay, so we're diving into today's topic, which is about the key differences in geriatric assessment. And these are the things that you can more or less expect to notice in an older adult. So first of all, we have changes to vital signs. So the temperature may be lower than normal. Additionally, Older adults may not develop fever when they have an infection, so the absence of fever in an older adult does not rule out an infectious process, okay? Now, blood pressure likely to be slightly elevated due to arteriosclerosis, that hardening of the arteries. Additionally, many geriatric patients have orthostatic hypotension, which is defined as a decrease of 20 millimeters of mercury or more after moving from supine to a standing position. Okay, so a little bit elevated blood pressure and orthostatic hypotension. Respiratory rate could be a little higher than normal even without an underlying pathophysiology, and older adults often have slightly lower SpO2 levels. Now, while a younger adult typically has a normal oxygen saturation level of 97 to 100% on room air, an older adult, even without respiratory disease, may have an SpO2 around 95% on room air, and that would be considered just fine. Okay, alrighty. So. Let's talk a bit about body composition and musculoskeletal changes. So weight may be decreased due to lack of appetite, lack of ability to prepare food, so difficulty with those ADLs, poor dentition, and lack of resources to obtain food. And then there's height. Height may decrease over time due to osteoporosis, due to kyphosis, and due to a reduction in space between vertebral discs, okay? So your older patient may weigh less and also get shorter. There's a reduction in joint mobility with many older patients with decreased range of motion. Now, even though weight goes down, body fat may increase by percentage as lean muscle mass decreases, which is why physical activity is so important. Bones decrease in density over time, and there is an increased AP diameter of the chest. That AP diameter is increased. Okay, So that's body composition and musculoskeletal changes. And then there's quite a few changes to the skin, to the integumentary system. So in the older adult, skin will be thin and may tear easily. So when you're taking bandages off of your patient who is older or EKG leads, you're taking those off of your older patient, take very, very good care. The skin can just tear so, so easily. So use paper tape when you can and just just be very careful, very slow with that removal. Skin turgor will be reduced. So to examine skin turgor as a reminder, you can grasp the skin at the back of the hand and release. It will not snap back as quickly as it would in a younger adult. So that's decreased skin turgor. And then you may also notice ecchymosis or bruising, and this is often on the forearms. Even very small traumas can cause bruising in older adults. They have very thin skin, and many of them take aspirin or antiplatelet agents or things like that, which further increase risk for bruising. And then you might also see or very likely to see areas of hyperpigmentation. These are called age spots. I'm using air quotes there or liver spots. These may be visible on areas that are exposed to the sun. So you you likely see them a lot on the hands. Skin is going to be dry to a decrease in oil production. And because the skin is drier, the patient may have more itching with that and the nails become brittle, they can get yellowed, toenails may harden and get very thick, which can make ingrown toenails more of a problem. Decreased sweat production leads to difficulty keeping the body cool. So what do you think the individual during those hot summer months might be at risk for? Hyperthermia. That's why when, let's say, A city is having a heat wave, they'll open up cooling centers, places where people can go to get into the air conditioning. A lot of patients can't afford air conditioning, can't afford to run their air conditioner all the time, or they live on the sixth floor of a building. It's very hot up there. So, going to a place like a cooling center can be very, very helpful. And that's why you just want to check on your elderly neighbors in the summer when it's really hot, please. Okay, we have the layer of subcutaneous fat, which will thin. Now, this affects the body's ability to maintain body temperature and it also provides less padding against trauma, which is why that ecchymosis happens. Medications also absorbed in subcut tissue may be affected. So, If we have subcutaneous fat thinning and we have an inability to really maintain body temperature, now we're at risk for hypothermia when it's especially cold out. Elderly patients are also at higher risk for pressure injury due to changes in the skin and also due to those musculoskeletal changes, they may be less mobile. And then wound healing in the elderly is slower and can be exacerbated by chronic conditions such as diabetes. Okay, what about changes to sensory organs? So sensitivity to touch, temperature, and pain reduce with aging. And what do you think this does? This puts the individual at risk for injury. This is more prevalent in the lower extremities than the upper, so you might want to advise against the use of hot water bottles, for example. They can cause burns because the individual doesn't feel the excess heat. Pupils are going to decrease in size and react more slowly to changes in light, making it difficult for many elderly individuals to see well at night. The eyes may be drier due to decreased tear production, and visual acuity declines, especially in near and peripheral vision. Also, color differentiation becomes more difficult, making it harder to distinguish blue from green. And warm colors are a bit easier to see, so an elderly individual may benefit from using a red-toned nightlight versus a bluish nightlight. Though not a normal part of aging, cataracts are very common in the elderly and are present in about 35% of people age 70 to 74, and the incidence goes up with age. And then what about hearing? Hearing declines in both ears as we get older, especially the ability to hear high-frequency sounds such as whistles or birds chirping or children's voices. Balance could be affected due to changes in the inner ear, making the individual more prone to what? More prone to falls. Very good. Taste buds decrease in number and size with aging, which could also contribute to weight loss. Decreased saliva production can lead to dry mouth and affect taste, which can also lead to weight loss. Smell diminishes with age due to less mucus production and loss of nerve endings. Okay, so that was sensory organ changes. Lots of things happening there.
1: now live on all podcast platforms.
0: And then neurological function. The most common change is slower processing speed, though intelligence typically remains unchanged. Also, another change is the ability to recall recent memories. That may be reduced. It's generally that the individual can remember things from a long time ago, more than they can remember, say, what they did yesterday. If you asked me what I had for breakfast yesterday, I'd have to think about it pretty hard. They have less robust reflexes, which may make the individual more prone to falling. They also have shorter sleep cycles with more frequent waking during the night and then early waking. I know that, you know, grandma would go to bed at like 7 p.m. and get up at like 4 a.m. or 3.30 in the morning, but then take naps throughout the day. Depression may be more prevalent due to decreases in neurotransmitter function and also simply from the stresses of aging, such as death of a spouse, loss of physical health, Loss of independence, big changes that come with retirement or maybe moving into an assisted facility, things like that. Okay, let's talk about respiratory system. In general, the changes to the respiratory system are going to be putting the patient at higher risk for infection and respiratory compromise. The changes are typically really mostly evident when the individual is under stress, but the The muscles of respiration are going to be weaker. So let's say you have an individual who has pneumonia and they are working a little harder to breathe. Well, their muscles of respiration are weaker. Are they going to be able to work that hard for as long as, say, someone who's in their 30s or 40s? No. So they're going to decompensate more quickly. Lung function decreases, including how quickly and forcefully the individual can exhale. They have decreased cough strength, so they can't get stuff up out of the lungs, so infection can happen. There's decreased mucus production, as well as ciliary dysfunction, which reduces the body's ability to rid itself of those pathogens. Changes to the thoracic cavity due to aging create a smaller chest cavity, and there is reduction in surface area for gas exchange due to alveoli deteriorating and a reduction in elastic recoil, okay? So respiratory system changes, a lot of it really going to exacerbate that risk for infection. Let's talk about changes to the cardiovascular system. So increased stiffness in the arteries, the arteriosclerosis can lead to hypertension. The heart rate may be slower due to the decrease in pacemaker cells and the development of fibrous tissue and fat deposits in those electrical pathways of the heart. A murmur is more likely to be present due to stiffening and thickening of the heart valves themselves. The baroreceptors become less sensitive with age. What do you think this does to orthostatic hypotension? Makes it more prevalent. And whenever your patient has orthostatic hypotension, I want you to think fall risk. Now, it may be more difficult to locate the apical impulse due to that increase in the AP diameter of the chest, and you may hear S4 in very advanced age due to reduced ventricular compliance, and if S4 is really loud, this is pathophysiological and indicates left ventricular failure. The dorsalis pedis and posterior tibial pulses may be more difficult to palpate due to arteriosclerotic changes. This can also make the legs feel cooler than expected. And for students, it's really hard to learn how to palpate the dorsalis pedis and the post-tib pulses. So when you're first starting out, practice on a younger person so that you can get used to where to feel for those pulses and the the location can be a little bit different in everybody, so you kind of have to go on a little bit of a treasure hunt, but get used to it on a younger adult And then work your way up to feeling for those pulses on your geriatric patients, your grandma, your grandpa, your older aunts and uncles, whatever, and anybody in the clinical setting because you'll set yourself up for success if you already kind of have an idea of where to look and what those feel like. And then veins, they stretch with aging and the valves become less functional, which leads to decreased venous return and more prevalence of varicosities. Okay, let's talk about changes to the GI system. So we have loss of teeth, poor dentition, which can lead to difficulty chewing, which may affect nutritional intake. Dentures are very expensive, so not all patients can afford those. Esophageal peristalsis decreases, which can lead to difficulty swallowing or early satiety for your patient, which would decrease nutritional intake. Slower peristalsis can lead to constipation as the, uh, what is it called? The digestive contents, it has a name, chyme, is that what it's called? As the chyme, as whatever that is in the intestine sits there for longer periods of time, more fluid is drawn out of it, which causes that stool to become uh, much more difficult to pass leading to constipation. And then changes to the stomach lining itself put the elderly individual at higher risk for peptic ulcer disease, especially if they're taking NSAGE, which a lot of individuals do because of arthritic pain, or if they're taking aspirin regularly. And then decreased elasticity of the stomach can cause early satiety, leading to weight loss. And then we have the genitourinary system. A lot of times your patient will have urinary leakage, issues with incontinence, increased urinary frequency, urinary retention, benign prosthetic hyperplasia is a common issue in the older individual. You can learn more about that in episode 259. There's an increased risk for UTI in the elderly and that's a lot of that's due to the urinary retention that comes with BPH, leakage and incontinence and maybe with, you know, difficulty with ADLs, maybe they're not able to take care of their hygiene as well. And then decreased GFR and renal blood flow makes the individual's kidneys less resilient when faced with acute renal insufficiency. So the patient may be more likely to have more significant uh, acute kidney injury, for example. All right, and then a few other miscellaneous factors which come into play. Many older adults take multiple medications, so be aware of polypharmacy. When possible, have the patient or the family member bring all the medications in for a full reconciliation. The ability to perform ADLs may be reduced. A collection of functional assessment tools are available to ascertain your patient's ability to perform their ADLs. I'll put a link to a great resource in the episode notes. And then fall risk, I've mentioned that a few times, definitely increased in the elderly for a lot of different reasons, including orthostatic hypotension, decreased visual acuity, the balance issues with the inner ear, decreased muscle mass, and reduced reflexes. The CDC has a wealth of information on their website. If you're interested in learning more about fall risk reduction, I'll put a link to that in the episode notes. So thanks for listening to this quick episode on geriatric assessment findings. It will be a huge part of your learning and fundamentals and what you are doing in clinical because so many of your patients are going to be older. Now, I want to see you back here next week. We're talking about what to do when you start to panic during an exam, like when that panic sets in, what are you going to do about it? So I'll see you back here next week for that. And if you're following or subscribed to the podcast, it automatically shows up when I release an episode. It's going to show up at the top of your podcast library show feed every thursday and whenever i do a bonus episode so make sure you're following and if this episode helps you if any of these podcast episodes help you i'd love if you take a minute to rate and review so i'll see you back here next week to talk about your action plan for when you might start to panic during an exam see you then this podcast is brought to you by straight a nursing